Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris, and we're in week two of our message series entitled Filled as we talk about that which does not often get talked about in the church, the Holy Spirit. Last week, as, as I introduced the Holy Spirit to you as a normative part of our Christian experience, I shared with you that the Holy Spirit is not an it or a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, and, and also being a person is personal. He lives in you, and it's in you that he gives you the power to live out the Christian life. This week, I want to speak to you about how do we cultivate the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we have trusted Christ as our Savior and Lord, in fact, if you've done that, wherever you may be, I would just ask you, man, just put down there, I've done that. You know, you may be across the country, you may be down the street. We know we have people that watch us every week from all those places. So just play along with us. If you're one of our live venues, man, you can just say, he's in me, right? If the Holy Spirit is in you, then how do we cultivate that? Last week at the 11 o'clock service here in our Wiley campus, um, had an amazing Holy Spirit moment. In fact, I went into the last hour. I was praying with some guys that pray with me before I go out on the stage each week. And I told them, I want just in this last hour, I pray for tangible demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. And I preached the message, went through the invitation. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was time to baptize people. And we had about eight people to baptize. And there was a particular family that we baptized last week. Uh, And when they were introduced, it was shared that they came into our faith family by means of having first seen Christmas lights, because at Christmas time, we decorate our entire building with Christmas lights. Now, here's why you'd have to understand why this is a Holy Spirit moment. Um, for three years, we've done this for four years. The three years prior, we had a contract with a company that did all those lights for us. But in the, in the fourth year, my friend Warren Klein came to me and he said, hey, I would really like to do these Christmas lights for our church. And if you know anything about Warren, Warren literally... Uh, in the neighborhood I live in, Woodbridge, uh, he was back in the day when he lived in Woodbridge, he was like the Clark Griswold. He always won the award. He, he just took it over the top. In fact, the new home he built, he ran conduit underground and all kind of put in an extra power panel so he can run his lights. And he said, I would really like to do this for our church. And he made this comment when we were talking about it. He said, I, if one person would come to know Christ as a result of this, it'd be all worth it to me. And I'll be honest with you, being the great man of faith that I am, I kind of thought to myself, this Christmas lights, dude, like, really? And yet, Warren felt that the Holy Spirit had led him to do that. And I just got to tell you, in that moment, when I put all those pieces together, because Warren Klein was sitting right over here to my left, and I'm seeing Warren right there, and I'm looking up at this baptistry, and I'm hearing that story about this family who came to know Jesus as a result of going first to our church to look at Christmas lights, That was that Holy Spirit moment. I got to tell you, it just broke me uh, because this man had been obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This family I was watching behind me had come to know Christ. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit causes us to do things that even sometimes are unconventional and, 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 and seem out in left field. And yet he uses them whenever we're just obedient. So how do we cultivate that? Because I want every one of you that are listening, I want every one of you on our campus, I want every one of you to to understand what it means to cultivate the Spirit so you can have some of these incredible stories and adventures. The book of Galatians uh, speaks of the theme is freedom. And that freedom comes through the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, it says, O Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing in faith? And he goes on, he says, and he asks another question. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, you are now being perfected in the flesh. Paul says to us right there the secret of, of, the, of the how we cultivate the Holy Spirit. And, he, and, it, and it's really found in, in one phrase. And I'm going to just drive this home with you all morning and, and all throughout this broadcast. It's simply this, receive and depend. Paul says right there, he says this, did you receive it from the law, meaning the flesh of yourselves, or by hearing by faith? There was a moment whenever Christ stepped out of eternity and into your heart and the Holy Spirit took occupancy in you if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. For me, it happened when I was nine years old. We lived in Bossier City, Louisiana. Um, and I'll never forget our pastor, Dr. Darwin Scott, the Highland Avenue Baptist Church was our pastor. I was started asking questions about what it meant to trust Christ as my Savior. He came over to our house. He visited with us. I'll never forget it. I kneeled down there on the hardwood floors of our home, right there on the piano bench. My little sister, she was eight years younger than me. I was like 10 years old. She's two. She's running around. And I remember um, she had she didn't want to eat her dinner. And for whatever reason, she put her chicken leg underneath the piano. That's what I remember most about praying to trust Christ. As I bend down, I'm asking Jesus to come to my heart, and there's her dinner right there underneath the piano, Okay. But I remember that night, I trusted Christ, and here's what happened. The Holy Spirit stepped into me. And now all these years later, now these nearly 40 years later, it's all been about cultivating that Spirit. So it happens by faith, but then Paul goes on and says this, you received it how? You received the Spirit, so we received. And he goes, how foolish. And he says, basically, are you going to do this in your own strength? He says, no. So how do we cultivate the Holy Spirit? It's this, we receive and we depend. We receive and we depend. In fact, say it with me, receive and depend. So in Galatians chapter 5, we actually see what Paul says about how we actually cultivate the Spirit. So we receive and depend, and there are these little phrases throughout these next 10 verses that tell us how we do that. Now, I want to just say this. Normally, I will read a passage, and I'm just going to talk about it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a little bit, I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to read a little bit, I'm going to talk a little bit. And I want to just challenge you at home and on our campus. You need to have your phone out, a piece of paper, something on hand that you can write this down because you will not remember all of this, okay? You will not. And if you want to cultivate the Holy Spirit in your life, it's imperative that you grab these principles. So notice this. Paul says, Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice that phrase, walk by the Spirit. So here's the first way we cultivate the Holy Spirit. Receiving a pen... So give up control daily. What he's saying right there is walk by the Spirit. That, that, that verb there in the Old Greek is this. It's a present imperative command. It means that we do it right now. It's a regular action. It is a willingness to surrender or yield our lives to His influence. So the very first thing, if we're going to cultivate the Holy Spirit, is this. We have got to give up control of our lives. And let's just be honest. There's some of you who are listening to this. You're a control freak. Right? I like to be a control freak. We don't like surprises unless they're good surprises. We want to be in charge. When I was at Baylor University back in the 90s, I had this friend named Brad. Brad was a member of the Baylor Riding Club. Now, I was so not a cowboy, okay? have never been a cowboy. 
never enjoyed cowboy things, but he said, hey, why don't you go out and ride horses with me today? And I thought, you know, I'm in college, why not? It'll be fun. So we go out to the Beta Riding Club, and I'll never forget this. Brad said to me, he said, uh, and I'm going to put you on this particular horse, and I want you to just stay behind me. He said, but now, Chris, here's the thing about these horses. These horses aren't like trail ride horses. A trail ride horse just sort of follows the other rear in front of them, which is literally what they do in a trail ride. Like, the view never changes. He said, these horses are used to running. He said, these horses are used to getting out in the open and having freedom. He said, now here's what's going to be so important for you if you've never done this. He goes, we're going to go into this clearing and we just come through some trails and we're going to get back on some other trails. But in this clearing, if you don't make that horse um, and, and really have it under control, here's what's going to happen. It's going to take the bit in its teeth. And when it takes its bit in the teeth, that horse is out of your control. He said, so... When we get to this clearing, you got to really hold that bit. Well, you know what I didn't do? I did not hold the bit. And that horse, I'm telling you, took off. And I mean, you know how some people, they're like, they're just like, it's beautiful poetry in motion. I mean, their body is in rhythm with the animal. I am not doing that. I am holding on for dear life. And I'll never forget that horse, seriously, ran into this clearing of trees because that horse was smart. It wanted to throw me off. And all of a sudden, smack, smack, smack. I'm getting hit by branches, right? I mean, I, it was the only horse trip I ever went on. I came back bloody, all right? Finally got the horse under control. Finally got under the trails. And Brad was like, see, I told you. I was like, well, thanks for that, bro. Here's why I tell you that. We have to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. We have to allow the Spirit to, to put the bit in our mouth so it can control us. And here's the thing. Ephesians 4.30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for on the day of redemption. You and I have to submit to the control of the Holy Spirit. And when we don't do that, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit says, I got plans for you. I want to show you some things. But whenever you and I take the bit, we take back control, we grieve the Spirit. So the first thing we have to do every single morning, I try to practice this. I get up in the mornings, and I just want to ignite, even before my feet hit the bed, before I ever read a passage of Scripture, any of those kinds of things, I say, Holy Spirit, I want to give you reign and rule control over my life today. Interrupt me as you would. You have to start, if you're going to cultivate the Spirit, by yielding control. Second, to cultivate the Holy Spirit, you receive and you depend. Here's the second thing, to have victory over sin. Notice this little phrase. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So your old man, your, your pre-Christ self, and even after we have trusted Christ, there's parts of us that have still not yielded to God. So there, we're going to always, in, inside this mortal body, until Christ takes us home and glorifies us, we're going we're gonna to have this, this, this war if, of sorts that goes on between the parts of Christ that he has not taken over all that, that, that domain in us yet. It says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you ever wanted to do something and you can't do it, you just feel powerless, it's because there's this war that rages. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit. Now that's the second thing. Notice this. Led by the Spirit. When we're led by the Spirit, we're going to get victory over sin. It says this, you're not under the law. So whenever we're led by the Spirit, when we're under the Spirit's influence, check this out, 
We're incapable of sin. When the Holy Spirit is allowed to move in us, we've yielded control, okay? We're being led by Him. We can have victory over sin. It says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Basically, you're going to notice right here in this list of sins, there's three areas everybody will be tempted. And the first one is this, is sexuality. Everybody will be tempted in the area of sexuality. You've got to make up your mind about some of those things before you even get to that place. We'll get there in a minute. Notice this. It says, um, adultery, sorcery, and enmity. Those are sins that deal with religion. Man's attempt to put God in a box. My attempt to make God smaller and make a Jesus, make a God, make a faith system that's built in my own image. So we're going to be tempted sexually. We attempted to kind of set up our own faith system religiously. But then notice this, we're going to also have problems relationally because it says this, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things of, of, like this, these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the, the, the kingdom of God. So what he's saying right here is that we're going to struggle all of us. And the Holy Spirit gives us power over sin in these three distinct areas. Sexuality, religiosity, right? And then our own relationships. When I was growing up, uh, one of the TV shows I used to always watch, and it was old school. It was old school Superman, okay? You remember old school Superman? He used to say this, look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. I used to love that. And uh, he, he, was the, he was the old guy. And, and back then too, you know, we... Now we like people that look emaciated. You know, that Superman was a little more plump. You know, I like that guy because he, I can relate to him. Anyway, um, but there was one thing. There was one thing that zapped Superman's powers. Remember what it was? It was kryptonite. Sin is the kryptonite to the believer. If you want to just, just completely drain yourself of, of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And here's what you do. You get involved in sin. In fact, the Bible even says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, do not quench the Spirit. Think that's interesting. Do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God has, uh, throughout Scripture, in the book of Acts, is portrayed as, a, as fire. And so, man, when the fire of God and the flames of God are burning hot, things are great. But then, man, we fall into sin. And guess what happens? It just... Phew, snuffs out the flame. How do we keep that from happening? Three things quickly, because how do you use the Spirit to help you fight sin? One is this, you pray. You pray. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 26, verse 31. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. To see, the Spirit will give you power over sin when we pray, because it says this, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You and I can't defeat sin in our own strength. We have to ask God to pray, change our heart, change our desires. Notice this, we use Scripture. We use Scripture. When Jesus goes out in the desert and he's being tempted by Satan, what does he do? He uses Scripture to combat um, Satan. And here's what's beautiful. Ephesians 6, 7 says this, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In the armor of God, the Bible, the words of God, is called the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon we have. So why must we spend time in God's Word? So that we can put it in us, so that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, okay, can remind us of that when we're in the midst of the battle against sin. And here's the last thing. We avoid exposure, 
right? This is being the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.22 says it like this, So flee the, the youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here's, here's what I know. Um, you have to eliminate the ability to sin sometimes. You know, I'm just going to confess to you, I've been trying to lose some weight, okay? Um, and as a result of that, here's what I've had to do. I've had to take all the sugar and sweets out of my house. And I have them upstairs. My dog, my kids have them. They have their own airtight sealed boxes. They can have it. But I mean, sometimes I just walk around the kitchen and I'm just looking, because I'm, I'm like land shark, right? I mean, I love car, I love sugar. And I'm just looking and I'm looking. And if it's not there, you know what I can't do? My fat self can't eat it, okay? In the same way with sin, sometimes you got to take it out of your presence. Why? So you're not even tempted. You see, um, we receive and we depend. And here's the best part. We can have victory over sin. Notice this third little phrase, and it's our third principle. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That little phrase right there, the fruit of the Spirit. So notice what happens here, right? So when we walk by the Spirit, check out, we're yielding control. We're led by the Spirit. We're having victory over sin because the Spirit's doing it through us. So here's what ought to be happening. We yield control, and our sin quotient ought to be going down every, every year. Every year that we walk with Christ, every day that we're, we're becoming more like Him, we ought to start seeing the Spirit, our desires for sinful things. We don't laugh at those jokes anymore. We don't want to go see those kind of movies anymore. We don't want to, and it's not about just the, the not. It's that I desire for something bigger and greater. But then notice this, what's going to happen is I'm going to start taking on Christ's likeness. So sin ought to be dropping, and character and Christ's likeness ought to be rising. And it says it right here. It's the, notice, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits. Some people have uh, said, well, you know, it's the fruits of the Spirit. They're all, no, 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 no. Uh, it, it's not like an apple, an orange, a banana, a pear. What, no, it's more like, have you ever had uh, a pomegranate? When you open up a pomegranate, there's all these seeds. And, and so within the pomegranate, there's, there's this multiplicity of fruit that's going on. That's what's happening right here. And here's what I can say to you. Jesus cannot imagine a non-fruit-bearing Christian. So when you hear people say stuff like, well, you know, I just trusted Christ back when I was a little kid, and but I've just kind of done whatever I wanted to for the last 30 years, and then, okay, all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't think that's what the, the Scripture teaches. I think that's a very dangerous gospel that we've allowed to get out there. I don't think it's the gospel that Jesus gave. It's John 15. Jesus says this. He says, you not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Some translations say would last. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus cannot imagine a non-fruit-bearing Christian. Matthew 7, 16. He says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You know, whenever people look in our lives, there ought to be an increase of these things. You ought to be more loving. You ought to be more joyful. You ought to be more patient, kind. And here's why. It defies your character. Because some of you, let's just be honest, some of you, I mean, the, the way you talk, the way you did 10 years ago, the way you are now, it's because the Spirit has changed that in you. Um, some of you are patient. You didn't used to be patient. I know I'm getting old. Uh, because I love documentaries. And one of my favorite new ones, I'm just going to tell you, it's out every week. Um, and this guy, 
Uh, some people love me, some people hate him. I love this show, Gordon Ramsay, Uncharted. Oh my gosh, it's the best. Guy travels all around the world. He works with all these different chefs. He was in Portugal last week, all right? That's how, that's how nerdy I am. I'm up to date with this whole series, okay? He's in Por Portugal, and let me tell you what he, what he did. He went to this vineyard, and this vineyard was a unique vineyard because the, the grapes were actually grown in the sand. It's, and it, it was one of the only places in the world that where grapes are normally put on trestles and above in a vineyard, but these actually grew in the sand. And so Gordon's job was when it comes time to dry the grapes a little bit so they can harvest them so they can produce wine, he, they, they make these little handmade trestles and little stakes in the ground, and they go and they, they pull the grapes from the, the sand, and they put those uh, trestles up. And, and, and Gordon was getting in trouble because he was stepping, and he was stepping on the vine, and the vine dresser said, do not do that. You're going to kill this vine that's been around for 300 years. You know why? Because the way that grape becomes grapey is to stay on the vine. When you lose connection to the vine, guess what? You, you, you don't produce fruit. And in the same way, how do we take on the character of Christ? We hang out with him. Like we are in proximity of him. Like you always take on the characteristics of those people that you spend the most time with. And if you spend more time with Christ, let me just say, you're going to take on his characteristics. And it's not that you have to do anything. Well, I've got to figure out how to be more patient. You can't. I'm going to figure out how to be more loving. You can't. You spend time. You hang out with him. Just like the grape on the vine, it becomes more grapey. You become more like Christ. So we're going to receive. We're going to depend. And so we're going to yield control because we're going to walk. We're going to be led by the Spirit so our sin quotient is going to go down. We're going to bear fruit so our character is going up. So this is where it gets fun. It says this, and if we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So look at this. If we are, live by the Spirit, what does that mean? It means I, I, just, I just follow His lead. Now, let me, let me tell you this. I, this is a principle I have, I've lived by for so long in my life. And I get it straight out of the Scripture because when you think about this, the fourth principle, receiving the pen, go until you get a no. So many times... We go through the, anal the paralysis of analysis when we think about the Holy Spirit. We're just like, well, you know, if God would speak to me in a talking donkey or a burning bush or a pillar, you know, that'd be, I, I would know what God wants me to do. No, here's what you got to believe. If you have received the Holy Spirit and you're yielding control every day, God, take over control. And if you are, you know, we're always going to need to stay confessed up. This side of heaven, we're always going to sin. We're always going to fall short. We stay confessed up. So here's what's happening. Our sin quotient's going lower. We're having victory over sin. And here's the best part. Now his character's rising up in me because we're hanging out with him. His values, his desires are becoming my desires. So here's, what, here's the deal. You can walk in freedom and you can go until you get a no. Because if, if God puts something, if, if a desire in your heart or you know it's a godly desire, man, go get it. Right? Don't sit back. If God doesn't want you to do something, guess what? He will stop you in his tracks. Um, I think the Apostle Paul was probably somebody who knew how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, the fact that you are listening to this in the West, or you're in a church in the West, comes directly from the Holy Spirit preventing Paul from doing something. Notice this. It says in Acts 16, 
uh, verse 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go to Blithnia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now check this out. I mean, I think if, if most reasonable people would agree that, you know what? It's always right that we should share Christ with somebody. So Paul, man, he didn't wake up going, well, God, I need you to give me a pillar of fire. God, I need you to bring it. Hey, people in the east, people, they need to get saved. So Paul wants to head east. He wants to head over now to where what we would call like China and, and that direction. So he says, I'm going to head that way. I'm going to head east. And then you know what it says? But the spirit of Jesus went on. And then he goes, well, you know what? People are going to get saved. I'm going to head north. I'm going to go up to Blithnia. And you know what? He'd been heading more like toward Russia, places like that, where he was at. He goes, and, this, and it says the Spirit wouldn't let him do it. And then, you know what? He, he goes on down to Troas, and he's, he's taking a nap, and he has a vision, <laughs> and God says, you're supposed to go to Macedonia. He goes west. He goes toward Rome. He goes toward the, the U.K. Ultimately, the gospel comes to the United States. God, for whatever reason, wanted the gospel back in the, in the time of Paul to head west. Aren't you glad he did? Because if he hadn't done that, you wouldn't be here listening to this right now. You'd probably be in some other part of the world that still has not even really heard the gospel. So here's what I'd say to you. Go until you're going to know. If your desires are becoming like Christ, your sin quotient is dropping, you're giving him control, and you're presented with great options, man... The fun part about living in the Holy Spirit is you can feel the freedom to just move. So what is the thing he would have you move toward? You see, you got to receive and depend. Last principle I want to share with you. It's right here in the text. It says this, if we live by the Spirit, so we're just going to go till we get to know. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Fifth principle. Receiving a pen and see where God is moving and get there. It, it's amazing. If, if you and I will just step back and we'll just survey our lives and we will just, we'll just be sensitive to the Spirit, we, we will be able to see where God is building, where God is moving, and we can get there. Uh, one night, Jesus had a visitor. His name was Nicodemus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Comes to Jesus at night because he's embarrassed to come to him in the day because he asked Jesus this question, what must I do to be saved? And this was a religious guy. He, he should have known the answer to that. And, and he, he tells Jesus, hey, I, I can tell you're a, a teacher from the Lord. No one teaches the way you do. How do I get saved? And then Jesus says to him this in John 3, uh, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So in other words, I, it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit stepping in me. It's going to have to be this personal relationship with Christ. It's going to get me into heaven. I can't do it alone. Flesh bears flesh, spirit bears spirit. But then here's what he says. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, this is huge. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And here, and throughout Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit many times is referred to as water, as we've seen, but also wind. And right here in this, he says, you don't know where it comes from, referring to the wind, and you don't know where it goes. And so it is with the Spirit. See, the Spirit of God, the wind of God, moves the people of God. It's kind of like surfing. Like if you want to know how you put this, this, this principle to action in your life, you have to think about surfing. Now, we live in North Texas, and let's just be honest, we have like, this summer we've had two seasons. Really rainy, okay, and it's about to just get hot. And then we're going to wish we'd rained again, all right? Um, we always want what we don't have. But here, if you've ever surfed, and I've done it very little bit, um, here's what you do when you surf. You, go, you take your board and you go and you paddle out into the ocean. And then you, you turn your, and your back is to the, to the beach as you're paddling out. And then you turn around now that you're facing the beach and here's what you're doing. You're looking over your shoulders and you're trying to see where the wind, because the wind creates the waves. You're trying to see where the wind create, is, is moving so that you can now paddle your way over to where the wave is building. And that's the thing. You can see on the ocean where the wind is building the waves. And then you paddle your way over to where that wave is, and then you begin to put your board in proximity of the building power of the wind that's building that wave. And then you stand up ever so slowly when it works right, and you ride that wave all the way in to the shore. In the same way, in the same way, God is moving. God is doing things. You know, when the pandemic hit, I got a phone call from one of our local community leaders who, was, who told me, hey, we have this need. We need to feed a lot of people in our community. We have no idea how long this is going to go. You know, what, you know what I sensed right there when that happened? The wind is blowing. And a wave is beginning to build. And I said, yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how we're going to provide. I, I don't have any idea. But we're going to paddle and be over here where God is at. And we're going we're gonna to ride the wave. And let me tell you something. This past year, we've done over a quarter of a million meals feeding hungry people. This past week, I had the privilege to go out with our, just our groups and just see what they do on the ground. Man, our volunteers are awesome. Man, John, Bailey, Robert Watson, Deborah, Tabolka, um, all of that. They do such a great job in ministering to our people. And it has been amazing because now we've seen people provide resources by way of food and money and all these things. And it was just simply just seeing where God was moving. Where's God moving in your life? What circumstances has he, has he availed you to? What peoples he put in your proximity so that you can just paddle right over there in the power of the Holy Spirit and you can just ride that wave and guess what? He gets great glory. See, Paul talks to this, this church at, at Galatia and he tells them all, this, all these principles we've talked about today and he ends it with this, and this is so huge. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, why? But he had just told us all these things about how we walk in the Spirit, how we're led by the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit. And unity. Why would he 
in this chapter. It's almost like it was like an afterthought. That says, let us not become conceited, <coughs> provoking one another and envying one another. You know, here's a picture of myself and my friend Warren. My friend Warren uh, has a really cool testimony. Like when Warren is about 80 years old, he's got about four teeth in his head and about two in his pocket, okay? He is going to be able to talk about how the Holy Spirit led him to do this, this, this unorthodox thing that led to the salvation of this entire family, okay? And, and let me just, I think this is why Paul put that there, because here's why. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be, you're going to be jealous of a person like Warren. You're going to be envious. Why does God not do that for me? Or, or if, if if somebody begins to do something and it sounds a little bit outlandish, you're going to be like, you're going to provoke one another. Well, where do you get off doing that? Where, where, where do you get that crazy idea? You know why? Because you're not in sync with the Spirit. Or you'll be like, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit may cause you to do things, to confess things, to admit things. What? And you would just be like, I would never do that. We become conceited. That's why the Scripture says in Ephesians 4, 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here's why this is so great in a church. When we are Spirit-filled believers, we're in unity. Whenever there is unity in a church, it's because the Holy Spirit is operating in you as it should. Because here's why. The Holy Spirit takes all these diverse people and brings them into unity. Takes all these people of different ages and races and socioeconomic backgrounds and educational backgrounds and all these things and puts them together in unity because we're a family. Friend, I don't know what you would need to do with a message like this today, but here's what I know. It all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, you need to seek Christ as your Savior. Why? So that these operative powers can even become a potentiality in you. Um, you may have been looking for a church home. If you're on one of our church, uh, on, on one of our on-campus uh, services, man, I'd love for you to stop by our Connection Center. Whatever it is you need to do today, there'll be people uh, online, on campus, available to help you. Hey, in the meantime, may the peace of God go with you. Let me speak a blessing over you as we depart today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you didn't leave us to have to figure out how to be a Christian. But you have given us the promised Holy Spirit that enables us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. And I pray that we would, if we don't take anything else away from this day, we would remember that we received the Spirit from you. And now we must depend on that Spirit. It was amazing grace that saved us. And it's that amazing grace that will sustain us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.